Let me remind you that uh, we started this last week on the audio book, for we have decided putting out a chapter every week. Uh, look for it on your email inbo- inbox and also on Facebook. And uh, you can get the book in the bookstore. It's available right now. And this week will be chapter one of We Have Decided, which begins with this declaration. We declared that the time for being led by fear is over. If I wait long enough, will you actually really applaud to this thing? We declare that time for being led by fear is over. Yeah. I love spontaneity. Uh, Therefore, we have decided to embrace the Holy Spirit as our guide and comfort, and fear will not dictate our decisions. You can hear it uh, on audiobook this week, both on Facebook, uh, released on Wednesday, along with released on Wednesday in your email inbox. If you don't have, get that regularly, please register it in the foyer. That would be awesome. And uh, the book, again, is available in the bookstore. We just, we ran out, but we got some more in there, so you can grab that and read along. So are you here? Yes. Hey, was, was the choir f- fun last, last week? Was that like outrageous? Would you like to see that more often? I don't think that will get it done, but would you like to see it more often? That might get it done. Yeah, that was a lot, a lot of fun. Really, really wonderful. So let's read from John chapter 6 this morning. <clears throat> I'm going to start, uh, pick it up. Uh, verse 3, Jesus went up in the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near, and Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that, that they may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may have a little. That amount of of finance was six months of wages, which is a lot of money for them. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Great man of faith, right? Then Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to his disciples and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. Say, as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the, with the frag, fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, whom they, uh, when they had seen the sign of the Lord, said, truly, this is the prophet who has come into the world. Story we're all familiar with, um, but I want to I draw something out of this story this morning. Have you ever been confronted by something that is so overwhelming, but you really want to do something about it, but you know you don't have the resource to do it. And you feel an overwhelming sense of it. And, and oftentimes when that begins to happen to us, we get so overwhelmed with the size of it and the impossibility of it that we do nothing about it. Right? So and it, because we can't do everything, 
We don't do anything, right? You know, sometimes the challenge just gets so big and, and we have a concern that tugs at our heart. We see something that happens in the world and, and there like seems to be something happening almost every week that's tragic, right? And you see those things and you go, under, can't we do something about those things? But we get overwhelmed and we end up eventually usually doing nothing out of those things. You know, if I could just fix that, if I could, if I could just be the answer for that. Uh, and any, anyone that has Jesus Christ in their life should have a level of compassion, a level of concern for the people and circumstances around them that causes them to, to, to sense and feel the weight of the need that is around us. And that can even be within your own family. That can be relationships that you're, you just can't seem to find the answer for. You know, and you just, you've tried everything and nothing seems to work, but, and you, you feel overwhelmed with that. So it can go from micro to macro, to that which is just right, with, right in our face, to that which uh, we recognize around the world that is a need that we would love to be able to do something about, but we feel like we can't do everything, therefore we do nothing. And this is the dilemma the disciples faced that day. It was a huge need that they could not solve. They had two problems. One of the problems was that they didn't have enough resource to feed them. So, so Philip says, you know, even if we were to raise six months of our salary, it wouldn't be enough. It, it wouldn't be enough. So that would even be a waste of time. It was, it was too big of a need. The second problem they had, that there was nowhere to buy enough. If, even if they had the resources, there was nowhere to buy. Uh, I think it's uh, Mark talks about it in his gospel. He says it's a desolate place. In other words, it's a place that has no resource. There were no Safeway stores there. Not even a 7-Eleven, right? They couldn't go and buy it even if they had the finances to buy it. So they had this overwhelming need and and, and no answer to it. But they forgot something. Because Jesus was wanting them to become aware of two things. One, that Jehovah Jireh was with them. The provider. He was there. The second thing he was trying to awaken them to was he's looking for somebody to partner with him to do the impossible. To do what you can't do. To do what you can't do if you, if you don't have the resource. He's trying to awaken them to those things. In Luke's version of this story, uh, he has Jesus saying to the disciples, you feed them. We got this huge need. What are we going to do with this? Well, we don't have enough resource. We don't have a place where we can even go buy it if we had enough resource. And Jesus says, okay, you feed them. How'd you like to hear that? Right? That's like my wife years, years ago. I mean, many years ago, I was complaining about my weight, right? Man, I just, yeah, I'm just too big. I just, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She listened to it for a while and finally said, I'll do something about it. You can fix this. Yeah, but I can't get rid of 30 pounds. No, but you can do one pound at a time, right? So here's, here's the point. Well, Andrew, Andrew comes to him and he says, listen, there's, there's a boy here that's got this lunch. And the lunch, uh, the word lad, the, the lad means a, a little boy. So he was a very young child. And he had this lunch with him at five bar- barley loaves. They're not like five loaves of bread that we would describe that way. They're biscuits. Five biscuits and two little fish. And the little fish mean, meant little fish, more like sardine-style fish. 
And barley loaves were, barley was used mostly for animals. And so the fact that they used the barley instead of wheat for the, for the lunch was that they probably came from a very poor family. So here's this very poor little boy who has this very poor little lunch. And Andrew comes and, and offers it to Jesus and said, but he doesn't offer it in faith. Because his point is, but what are, there so, what are these so many, uh, when there's so much of us, how, how is this going to work? This, this won't work. And yet it makes you wonder, why did he ask the, why did he even present that to Jesus? It wasn't because he thought, maybe this would be enough for a miracle. That was not what he was thinking. He was, he, here's, here's my take on it. He had been harassed by that little boy. That little boy just kept saying, I got this. I got this. And it was, that's really sweet. Really not. You know, your kids do come up to you and they have a, and you have a problem and they come up with a solution that you know is not going to work. You go, that's very nice, son. Very good. Very good. And he goes, no, no, no. You, this will do it. This will do it. No, son. It's, it's really okay. And until finally you get so harassed that you, you try it, right? Well, I think that's what happened to Andrew. I think this little boy just kept saying to him, this will work. This will work. And Andrew kept saying, no, 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 until finally he says, okay, well, I'll offer it. Oh, fine, I'll do it. And Jesus looks at it and says, perfect. So all I'm looking for is an offer. Because Jesus was trying to get them to see and understand that Jehovah Jireh is with him. But not only that, that he's looking for someone to make an offer. Somebody to do something about the situation. Don't have to do everything. And that's the point I want to explore this morning. Is that when you know you can't do everything, you can do something. There is something in your hand. There is something in your life that you can use to partner with God to do something about that which has captivated you, that which overwhelms you. You can do something. And when, it's, when what's in your hand is not enough for your need, make it your seed. What's not enough, what's in your hand is not enough for your need, make it your seed. That's what this little boy did. It was not enough, but he made it his seed and he planted that and we know the miracle that took place, right? They were all fed and had more than enough because he's the God of more than enough. And that's what he does. But he's always looking for somebody. I remember when Dano, uh, Dano and Deb and I were in, in Fiji, one of the first times that Dano went there and we went to a, um, a Bible college and we saw the condition of worship in the land. And he was so taken by it. And the Lord spoke to him. He said, a white man broke this. A white man needs to fix it. And he called Dano to change, the, 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 the change worship in the nations. And he looked at it and said, it's too big for me. I can't do that. I'm overwhelmed with that. And then he began to look at the guitars that they used in Fiji. And they were beat up, old. All the worship leaders that we ran into, beat up old guitars. The, the, the tuning forks were like screws or, or they were just pieces of wood that they carved to make them work. And most of them only had two, maybe three strings on the guitar. And that's what they would use to worship with. And Daniel said, I can do something. I can do something. So he buys strings. He buys a whole bunch of strings and he takes them over there and just distributes them. 
to everyone that he sees. And out of that has come sounds of the nations that now touches every continent. And we partner with Sounds of the Nations Fiji right now, and they are rocking the nation of Fiji and changing the face of worship in that nation. The the need was big. He couldn't do everything, but he could do one thing. And that's what I want us to recognize this morning. And I want to do this uh, by introducing to you uh, two of my heroes. Uh, they, they lead a church in San Marcos, Texas. I know we don't usually speak that word. <laughs> but we'll speak it this one time. Hill Country Church. Uh, they are just two of the most precious people in the world, and it's my joy to introduce them to you. Would you please welcome Tim and Elizabeth Darnell. If you'll grab a microphone there. I'll let you both sit down there. Now, some of you probably know these or recognize that they've been around here for some time. They come to our Kingdom Connections every year, and they also... Uh, come, have come to s- several conferences that we've had here. Uh, we love these two. They're just doing a dynamic work there in that part of that state. And uh, Texas, yes, Texas. Texas. Yeah, I know, I know. I, thank you. Here, come a little so I can, I can see you. There we go. So I can give you a snake eye when you keep using the word Texas, yeah. Uh, but I thought it might I I want them to share the story of what God has done through their life uh, in a very difficult situation an overwhelming situation Um, so I'm I'm excited for them to hear that but I think it might be good for you to kind of get an idea of how we got connected because now how how many years ago 13 years wow 13 years you were a young man then Uh, 13 years ago uh, we kind of got connected why don't you Relate that story. Yes. Yeah, so real quick, um, honestly, we were we were in a very difficult place in a transition in our church and in leadership, and we were stuck and um, didn't know what to do, and just was really crying out to the Lord. And I just said, "We're leaving if we don't get help. We'll go find something else to do." A friend of mine was in Reading, was given. Decisions that define us. And the Lord, when it hit his hand, the Lord spoke to him and said, that's not for you, that's for Tim. So I need you to take that to Tim. He drove over and gave it to us. I read it in one day, in one sitting. I called that day asking to buy a few books. And Dave called me back and began to, he asked me a question no one had ever asked me. He said, what do you need? And I said, I need some books. And he said, no, what do you really need? And I just started crying. And realized that no one had actually asked me what I needed in the process of what we were doing. And that's how we connected. We came out here. We'd never seen Dave or Deb. Our first time we met was we were sitting right over there. And we didn't know what anyone looked like. We were like, we just showed up to strangers. And we found family. And so that's how we got connected. And uh, we're so grateful to be uh, part of the mission family. And just blessed. We've been blessed to be around this place and it's changed our destiny. I just want you to know this church has changed our destiny in a church in Texas. Yeah. 
San Marcos. We'll just say that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they lead a church, just a quick, quick history, that was started by his father. Started during the Jesus movement. And uh, started in, as a uh, coffee shop, right? Coffee house that so many of the churches did in those days. And, uh, and, and now several churches have, were birthed out of that. Many churches were birthed out of that. And San Marcos is one of those. And you guys took over the leadership now 10 years ago? 11. In June. 11 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so these are, these are really precious people to us. Uh, they become family. Not only to the house, but us personally. We get to go to their church every once in a while and uh, minister there. June, you'll be with us. Be there in June, yeah. Uh, so, but what we want to kind of talk about this morning is, you guys have been ministering in the Ukraine for quite a while, right? Almost 20 years. Almost 20 years, yeah. So you, you built some relationships and, and that kind of thing. Tell us a little bit what that was like before the war, pre-war. Sure. Um, what's interesting is, so... Um, you just have to understand my history a little bit. I was, uh, I loved America growing up. I'd, I always say now I was a child of propaganda, how much I hated the USSR and, and um, was taught that. And God laughed and gave me a Ukrainian roommate for Bible college my first year. <laughs> and, um, but from that, a deep relationship was formed with him. And so we always have made the commitment that if we get the chance to go to Ukraine, we're going to go and minister there. And so in 2004, I was invited to go um, and speak at a Bible school. And we met another young couple exactly our age with children our age and just felt connected with them. I'll let Elizabeth explain a little bit. But we've been going back and forth now almost 20 years, sometimes two or three times a year, uh, depending on what the need is and what the Lord has asked us to do. And I just want to say this real quick. We learned something here, though, that changed our whole perspective about missions and life, and it's called strategic life exchange. So in the beginning, we started going thinking uh, we were the answer. Uh, We didn't realize that actually our covenant relationship was going to be the answer. And um, so we just want you to know that everything we're about to talk about didn't come out of this because we're American, because we have more money, um, because we're even better spiritually uh, it actually all happened out of covenant relationship and strategic yeah. life exchange. Yeah. Everything of this story that you're about to hear. Yeah. Uh, then, then the war happened, and I'll, I'll let you kind of take guys take over here in a minute. But I was, I was thinking back to when I first heard the story of what was taking place: Russia invading U- the Ukraine. And by the way, this morning I want to make sure you understand we're not making a political statement in any way. We recognize that there is, there is discussion now and dialogue over whether we should be involved in the war, whether we should, should or shouldn't be involved and how we should be involved, all of those kind of things. That's not what this is about in any way. This is simply somebody responding to a human need, a human condition, no matter what uh, nation they come from. There's, there are human needs out there that we need to put aside our politics and see them as yes. Jesus sees them. Yes. See them as Jesus sees them. Uh, you know, the, the man that was caught was, was beaten up and thrown in the ditch. It's the one that was not like him. That was most unlike him came and helped him. And he placed aside all of his religious stuff and all of the political stuff and said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help this guy. So that's what this is about this morning. Please understand that. 
Uh, but I remember when, when I first saw that thing, I was, I was like overwhelmed. I thought, wow, that's tragic. And you see the millions of people having to leave their, their towns being destroyed, their homes being destroyed, millions of them having to flee into other countries. And I, I got overwhelmed with it. I thought, man, I, what do you do about this? And the Lord spoke to me. He said, you can't do everything, but you can do something. And so we began to look for partners on who we could partner with. And um, I thought of you guys. So we called you and said, what's, you know, what's going on? What do, you, what do you guys feel about this? How, how does this hit you? The families that you're working with, are they in, in danger? You know, check, ask those questions. And then you begin to share what God had put in your heart to do. So that's what we want to hear this morning. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. So uh, because we have been going to Ukraine uh, so often, we have um, partners there, really. We have, uh, a, there's a church that we're really close to with this family with children, and they have a beautiful community. We've brought mission teams to them and, and help support, mm-hmm. you know, the work that they're doing in their city and in their region. They're effective ministers of the gospel. They have a heart for their country, and they love, they love the people. And so uh, when the war started, then we just obviously began to pray very fervently. It was very scary for them. It was just scary. Mm-hmm. And um, they would call us about every night and give us an update on what was going on. Because at that point, we said, okay, you know, if, if you want to go, we'll help you get out of there. You know, there's, but you have to know before the Lord to stay or go. And so really, that's what we waited for was the go signal. And um, well, let, me, let me just make sure that people understand. You guys are very wealthy. So this is something you could do. I mean, like you have tons of money overflowing. Your bank accounts are overflowing. You have resources that are multimillionaire, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, it was real easy for you to just make this decision to go, right? Right. Exactly. Exactly. But we have a father who has everything we need. And we were waiting on his yes is what we were waiting on. (laughs) And so, which we will, I want to, we'll get to the money part because it's the whole section, honestly, of miraculous Mm. um, that you guys partnered with and, and so many others. But at this moment, it honestly didn't even matter what the cost or what it took to get there. I mean, we would have pulled it. I don't know what we would have done. But anyway, the Lord met us there. Um, and the minute they said, the girls, um, the mother and, and her four younger children were going to go. And um, uh, still, the men under 60 cannot leave the country. And so um, the husband felt it was safest for his wife and family to leave. And so uh, within 48 hours, we were on a plane and we went and we met them actually in the Czech Republic and we helped them get set up with an apartment. So that's really where this story um, goes. Do you want us to continue? Or? Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Okay. Let's well, get wild. Um, So we're done with the setup. So what we have to understand is, so we didn't know where to fly. Um, We didn't know exactly where to go. So we just picked Poland um, because... That's, yes, very logical. You know, like they said, well, we think Poland. And we said, okay. So we flew to Warsaw. And Elizabeth's going to give some details about the rental car in a minute because it's very important. But um, before we were leaving, we just kind of reached out to our prophetic community and said, hey... Does anybody feel anything? So uh, in the story, I just want you to know, is Elizabeth and I and one other man that does trafficking rescue all over the world. So he's like wildly brave. 
And we said, we just, we're going to take him and just to be with us. Because we didn't even know if we were going into Ukraine. We didn't know what we were doing. We just knew we were getting to Poland, getting a car, and going to find them. And you didn't uh, know what you were doing. Absolutely not. Keyword. Mm. Um, actually, one of the big things I had to embrace was it's okay to not know. Yeah. Like, yeah. it was a big piece for me. Like, yeah. it was, because I wanted to lay it all out. And this is where we're going to go. And this is how much it's going to cost. And this is how much it's going to cost. And all of these things. And, and what the Lord just told me, he said, son, I'm about to take you on a faith journey. Yeah. And, I, and a lot of times we talk about faith, but I, I'm not sure that we really believe the loaves and fish can do it. Right? And so... Uh, we reached out to our prophetic community, and our youth pastor actually called us the morning we were getting on the plane. He said, hey, I had this dream. Honestly, I don't really want to share it with you because it's really odd, but I feel like it's from the Lord. He said, I saw you and Elizabeth running through this field. There was fire, and there was mud, and there was water, and you know, we're just navigating it. And then a man pulled up in a very nice car, a very wealthy man pulled up in a nice car and said, get in. I, I have something for you, and I know the way. And y'all got in and drove off. He said, that was the dream I had. And he said, this is the word the Lord told me. You can trust the man and the, the rich man in the nice car. <laughs> and that's the word we got on the airplane with. Was we wrote it down. We said, okay, we can trust the rich man in the nice car. Elizabeth's about to give a bunch of details. Why it's so important is we literally launched from that word. Yeah, I need this, though, because I got to keep track. <laughs> so uh, the first thing is that uh, when we landed, we, you know, we only had 48 hours to sort all this out. And so we just got online and we rented a van because it's a family of, of five that we were going to. And so with the three of us, well, there's seven and, you know, I don't know. Wow. There's a, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> there are eight of us and that won't, you know, fit in a regular car. So we just rented a van. We picked it up. It was this very weird color green, bright green. All right. It really stood out. It was very bizarre. Turns out that there were no rental vans available at this point. The, the NGOs were already there. You know, the, the military, everybody was there. There were no vehicles. That was the first miracle. Mm. And it was a very reasonable price. Everybody was absolutely shocked that we showed up in a van. So um, that was miracle number one. The next thing is once we landed in Poland and we had touched base with the family, we knew then that they had taken a train and gotten off in the Czech Republic in a small town called Friedrich Mystic in Czech Republic, which, of course, we had to Google and uh, map and try to find our way. But as we approached the city, we just we didn't have a place to stay. And so, uh, I, again, thank God for search engines. Uh, I just pulled up local hotels, and we picked one. That simple. Uh, once we, we got there, it was evening, and we didn't even get to meet with the family that we came for yet. We weren't close enough to them. So we just, you know, got in. We'd been traveling all night, and we just slept. And in the morning, we woke up, and we came out to breakfast, and the whole place was full of Ukrainians, Ukrainian refugees. And, and all of a sudden, we knew we were right where we were supposed to be. And it was immediate. It, it, was, it was like the peace of heaven. The presence of God just kind of invaded that room, and we just sat with them. We just sat, and we began to talk and ask questions they didn't speak English, I should preface that. And we don't speak Ukrainian or Russian or anything, for that matter, besides English. <laughs> no, you speak Texan. We, 
Yes, it's right. true. But we have this lovely app. It's Google Translate, um, which is really awesome. So you type in what you want, or you, you can even speak, and it translates. And literally, that's how we begin to communicate. And we begin to ask people questions about where they came from and what had happened. And the most amazing thing began to happen because we just had no clue what we were going to do, how we could help, what, how we could make a difference. You know, just, we were literally just dropped into this country. We didn't know where anybody was, if there was going to even be refugees. And we found out that there were thousands of of refugees. And, um, are you going to share that part about the funnel, right? Go ahead. Yeah. Um, the first night we got there, I had a dream and the Lord showed me a funnel and he said, I'm putting you at the neck of the funnel. And, I mean, we're, honestly, I, I want to be prefaces like the city we're in is not big, right? So it shouldn't be the place where all the refugees are going. But what had happened was there was a detention center in the former Soviet Union that was empty. And they had decided to just open it up and bring all the refugees there so they could have somewhere to stay. And it happened to be in the city that we were in, in Czech Republic. And so God took us to the exact city where all the ref- all Ukrainian refugees coming into the Czech Republic were going. And yeah. so that's why all the hotels were full, all the Airbnbs, everything, everywhere you walked was just Ukrainian refugees. And, and when we began to recognize that, that even our hotel was a hot spot, it was completely full. The owner had just opened up and said, if you don't have any money, come and stay anyway. And that's the, that was the atmosphere that the Lord dropped us in. And it was overwhelming, I just want to say. Like, the amount of need was incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of random details. But the reason we're sharing them with you is because God is really in the random. And he's proven it to us over and over and over in this story. So if you'll just bear with us, we're going to keep talking about these little details. But um, as we, uh, the next day we were able to meet up with the family and it was you know, wonderful. They were so amazed. Everyone was so amazed that we were there, uh, you know, that these Americans just flew, you know, to Europe to, to be with this one family. That's literally why we were there. And they were so amazed. And, um, when we got to, uh, just be with them, uh, their daughters, the older daughters are baristas in Ukraine and they just wanted a cup of coffee. And so we just decided we got in our green van and just started driving around town looking for a coffee shop. Priority. Yes, yes. Well, you know, and we wanted so much to do something normal with them. They have been so traumatized. I mean, the the trauma is unimaginable. It's it's unimaginable. There's no other word for it. Um, So we just wanted something normal for them. So we just started driving around. And, of course, the first place that we found was closed, you know, wandering around. Well, anyway, we end up at at another random uh, little restaurant around the corner that was open. And so we, we get there and go inside. Do you want to take over? Sure. And we, when we walked in, I mean, we're quite the scene. Um, apparently, we look like Americans. I, I don't really know what that's about. But when we walked in, uh, the owner came walking around the corner. And in broken English, he said, why are you here? And I heard the Lord say, be honest. Just as quick as he asked me that question. And I said, this is our covenant family of friends from Ukraine that God has connected us with. And we're here to take care of them. And he stuck out his hand. And when we shook hands, he stood there for 10 minutes. He wouldn't let go of my hand. And he just kept looking at me. He goes, you, you flew from America for this family. 
And I said, we did. We did. We came here just because we loved them. And he goes, he goes I, I need to show you something. Now, I need to preface this that everyone in the Czech Republic that does business seems to look like they're a mobster. <laughs> right? At least the ones we've met. At least all the ones we've <laughs> yeah. met anyway. It's like, this is crazy. And, and he goes, I need you to come with me. And at this time, Elizabeth and the girls had gone sit down. And I just disappeared, and she didn't know. And he said, come with me, and we just start walking down this alley. And I'm like, this is it. It was dark. <laughs> a dark alley I'm at night. I'm going to the Lord. And we came yeah. around the corner, and he unlocks this door, and it's a warehouse. Not like this big. It's a Czech warehouse. It's, it's <laughs> you know, average size. He opens it up, and it's full of donated goods for Ukrainian refugees. And he, and he turns to me, and he says, good, huh? And I said, you did good. I just started praising him. I was like, I did amazing. He goes, yeah, we raised yeah. all this on Facebook in two days. Just don't kidnap me. Just, yeah, yeah, just don't kill me. Right? And, and then he tosses me the key, and he says, run it. He goes, it's yours. You, it's yours. You can, here's the key. You just bring Ukrainians here. Take what you need. We'll refill it every day. We've got people coming every day. Um, he goes, I don't know any Ukrainians, but I know you do. You can do it. Amazing, and we're just standing there with a set on. of keys. So I go back to the coffee shop. I told Elizabeth, I said, hey, we have a warehouse. <laughs> the mafia has given us yes. a warehouse. Actually, that's a long story, but yes, he is actually, actually the mafia. Yes, but, but, but yes, uh, he did. And, he, and he, you know what, though? He loves us. Yeah. Yeah. Every time we go in, he wants to talk to us. He wants to sit at our table. He wants to know why we would. He asks why every time. Why are you here? Why are you here? So we've got to share the gospel with him. I'm believing for a huge breakthrough in his yes. life as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so the next day and then pretty much five or six consecutive days after that, we took our big green van and we, we drove out to the detention center where there was more than 800 refugees that would be housed for several days at a time before they were sent off to another area where maybe they, they could find housing. And we would just pick... First of all, they wouldn't let us in the, you know, they were, it was wise. They didn't let just anybody in and out. And so we just kind of pulled up to the gate and it is terrifying because it's former Soviet detention center. You know, there's like razor wire everywhere in these big, you know, guard stations and everything. And there we are in our green van and we just pulled up and we sat there. We had Lena, uh, who spoke Ukrainian by this point, And we just sat there and we were like, okay, God, you know, if you have, People that you want us to minister to, we'll take them down to the warehouse, and they just started coming. And really, the rest is history as far as that goes. As, as many as we could get in the van, we would drive down and let them pick whatever they wanted from the warehouse, and then we would take them back. And everyone that we took in there, almost everyone... Yeah, we would share the gospel, the ones we had opportunity with. It became more and more people coming in um, further in the week. But the ones we would take and we'd share the gospel with, and they would receive Jesus right there. And we would celebrate together, and then we would take them back. And uh, Lena is an evangelist in the purest form. And mm. she, so we would just say, go, just go. And she would share. And wow, the presence of God was so strong uh, when we would do that. If I'm not mistaken, someone were even, we had, there, there was, yeah, Holy Spirit visitation, like baptism, and the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. speaking in tongues. It was just a wild time. Uh, so <laughs> that's really the story about the warehouse. But as we were there, we had to find housing for the family that we, you know, were going to spend time with because we were going to head back to the U.S., but they were going to stay there 
you know, as long as it took until it was safe to go home. And so there was no housing in the city because of all these refugees that were coming in continuously. They were recommending to people to go into Ostrava, which is the a bigger city about 30 miles away. And so, you know, there was just all this movement. And, but we felt like the city was right. Friedrich Mystic was where we needed to be. And, um, and at the hotel that next morning, we heard that they were, uh, there was some apartments available and could, you know, that they would take some people mm-hmm. to go see. Yeah. There was only a few of them. Fine, whatever, we go. And we get there, and the man that shows us the apartment um, knows a lot about that apartment. And he takes us out to the balcony, and we look over the edge, and there's this really, really, really fancy BMW that I don't know. I mean, Dave would know. Dave would know (laughs) the details about it. But we looked over, and, and Tim, yeah, fancy car. Tim goes, is that your car? And he said, yes, it is. And we looked at each other, and we were like, I wonder if this is the rich man with the nice car. Well, we come down out of that apartment building, and of course, we said we'd take it because it didn't matter. At that point, we said have an apartment. It was beautiful. It was brand new. And we go down, and and he says to Tim, I'd like to to show you another building of mine. I own many properties in the city, and I'd like to show you a building of mine. And so Tim gets in the nice car. I get in the van with the other guy we're with, and we go down uh, to this property. It's not very far away, and we get out, and it's in renovation. And it's probably three stories. It looks old, pretty old. And we get in there, and uh, my heart starts burning. I don't really have another description for you. And I start weeping. And I'm like, something, there's something about this building. What is going on? And it had a lot of rooms, uh, 16 apartments about, if it helped yeah. me with numbers. Eight, 18 apartments, yeah. And the whole basement uh, had space for many, many, many people because it wasn't finished out at the bottom. And we start going up the stairs. And I look at this man. His name is Roman. And I said, Roman, what is this place? And he said, it's the very first property that I purchased um, as I was a young entrepreneur. And he said that the building was owned uh, by Jews. And during World War II, they came through and took everyone in the building, including the owners, to concentration camps where the owners Mm -hmm. died. And the building had not been touched since then. I'm the first first owner Mm -hmm. since Mm -hmm. World War II. And it's my prized property. And... I just looked at Tim and I said, we have to have this place. And he, <laughs> I think his first reaction was like, no, <laughs> we do not have to have this place. Even six months of wages would not be <laughs> even, enough, right? <laughs> even so- <laughs> I, mean, I literally said, this is a quarter of the church budget. Well, and it was in another country, and it was under renovation, and we didn't speak the language. Now, we didn't speak Ukrainian, we didn't speak Czech, we didn't speak anything but English. And here we are looking at this building, and we just left it. In the moment, we just left it. Well, um, how far do you want me to go before you take off? I don't know. I'm not, now I'm off grid. I don't know where we are. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Uh, but we we just started building relationship with Roman at that time. He actually wanted to have us for dinner and we had dinner with him. Do you want me to share about him? Yeah. Or do you want to? Yeah. Okay. Let's make it sure. And uh, his, his heart, he just began to ask us questions at dinner. And it really reminded me of when Nicodemus came to Jesus that night. 
the, those were the kind of questions. He'd read the Bible through cover to cover three times, and he was fascinated with Jewish history, Jewish custom, with the Bible. He just wasn't sure about Jesus. Mm-hmm. Was he a prophet? Was he the Messiah? And that's kind of the conversation. Now, I was, it was way over my head. Thankfully, my husband, you know, went to Bible school. So they were talking about the Septuagint and, you know, things that I didn't remember all the words for. And I was so <laughs> grateful that he was there. I just sat quietly. But um, those were the, it was this really beautiful, deep conversation. And so we just began to plant seeds. And we are still planting seeds. We are still planting seeds there uh, because he just keeps asking questions. And um, just so you know, we have been uh, now, again, we were there again in June. Our friend um, has been several times, and it's always these seeds just being planted. So pray for Roman. Um, baby, you want to take it from there? Yes. So Roman just kept asking us, what about the house? What about the house? And I, I was afraid he wanted me to do the construction, honestly. I, that was my first thing. I was like, I'm not doing that construction in a foreign country. Um, he said, I can get it ready, though, and I'll have it ready by, well, he said May 1, but it ended up being June 1. And he said, I think you're supposed to have it. He just kept saying it. He was like, I'll give it at a reduced rate and all these things. And we, we calculated the numbers, and I just told the Lord, I said, I don't. I mean, if you tell us to say yes, I'll say yes. That's a lot of money. I mean, it's more than we have in our savings account at the church. It's like if we don't do it, I'm going to default, and all these people are going to go homeless. And the Lord said, I will do it, but you're going to have to say yes. So yeah. we went and met with Roman, and I said, we're going to take the building. Yeah, let me just jump in here. Yeah. We didn't ask for money. We didn't advertise this. We didn't tell anyone except our church elders no one, because first of all, we didn't know anything about it. We didn't know enough about it. <laughs> we didn't even know what we were saying yes right. to. <laughs> and so as we said yes, this honest to God truth, in the next 10 days, we had $78,000 donated. Um, from Including? Including the offering from here. Thousands of dollars from here. Offering from Bethel Austin. Yes. Um, just it was amazing. And I wanted to mention one thing. Uh, yeah, you can, it's amazing. It is amazing. Uh, we had someone in the church said, I just need you to jump on a zoom call and you don't know what everyone does. Right. And so he just said, jump on the zoom call. I want to talk to you real quick. And I jumped on and it was nine screens all blanked out. And he said, this is our board. And he said, I just need you to tell what you're doing. And I told him real quick and I said, been nice for a heads up. You know, and he didn't, he, it was no, there was not a sales pitch. I just told him what we were doing, that we were 11 people. And someone just typed in 7,000 in their square and it came up. And he goes, that means you just got $7,000 from them. So I just kept talking for a minute. Then, and, and, <laughs> and at the end of that call, we had $49,000 come from a nonprofit that's never given anything outside of America. Wow. It's actually wow. even beyond their their yeah. bylaws, but they really felt like the Lord was telling them to do that. And so that's where the seed money started. And I'd love to tell you that all the money came in, but the Lord didn't do it that way either. He, he said, now start. Yeah. So we rented yep. the building. Yep. And the first thing they told us, like, you have to buy all the furniture. Cool. So half of our grand. money, like, <laughs> 20, grand. 20 grand in one day. We spent 20 grand in one day. Um, Ikea is awesome over there. And, 
and and so we were able to start that but there was a there was a process too where our yes still had to carry faith it wasn't like he just gave us everything um and through the months, you know, the, even the church covered, covered a few months out of our, I just felt like our obedience. And then the Lord started showing back up. And then a partnership that we have actually from this place. And I'll just say from Jamie and Nikki Van Gelder, they invited us to come up mm-hmm. in December and have them speak at our, speak at the church and tell them what was doing. And they paid the last three rents, months of rent yeah. uh, out from the church to cover the last remaining cost. Yep. So what who what's happening with I mean, what happened with this okay. building? I mean, yeah. yes. people get put in there. Or yeah. What? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. yeah, it was instantly full. It was very uh-huh. easy to fill it. Uh, some of them are people that we know actually from mm-hmm. the city where we've been ministering for a long time uh, over the years. And so some of that church family moved in. There were others locally. It was like kind of word of mouth, like, you know, that they started filling quickly. And uh, they, they are mostly women and children, and they have been living completely rent-free, no utilities, nothing for a year. Wow. So, yes, amazing. it's amazing. Yeah, yeah it's Fantastic. a big testimony. It's a big testimony. And through the people that we have, you know, have relationship with in the Ukraine that are doing a lot of work, we've been able to help lots and lots of families. Honestly, we don't really know the exact numbers, uh, but it's it's in the hundreds of people that we've been able to either give food for, house them at that house, you know, things like that. It's been remarkable. But I just want to say that probably the most significant thing for me is to realize the power of just listening. Um, Because every one of these people have been in such trauma and really continue to be in such trauma, the fact that we could just sit and listen to them, I quickly realized it was enough. It was absolutely mm-hmm. enough that, mm-hmm. and I just kept, you know, First Corinthians 13, I know sometimes we just quote that off the cuff and it becomes cliche, but love never fails. Love never fails. Mm-hmm. And the power of love is what I believe has really driven everything that's happened. All the miracles, it was like God just needed vessels. He just needed us there and he just took it. And uh, we would just sit and listen sit and listen. And I feel like even here, you know, in America, we, we've got to be aware that God wants to use us that way here too. When we have no solutions to problems, we, you know what, we don't know what to say. We don't know what to do. If we can just sit and listen and just believe that our presence there will make a difference. I know Dave has some things in his heart. I, I just want to say this, though, that we learned that we're rich. We are. That's what I came home yeah, with. We we're rich. Yeah. And it wasn't about money, honestly. It was silver and gold I don't have. But what I do have, I'll give to you. And what we found is we had to embrace that before the money came. We had to realize we had something to give if we had no money. Yeah. We had hope. We had life. We had that's the, it. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead was on the inside of us. We were watching people get baptized in the Holy Spirit in the middle of a warehouse that God gave us. And I just began to realize we are rich. And I, I felt like that was the message for me coming back that we had to share with the American church is, hey, we need to get out of this mindset that we have to have all of the resources to do what we think. I, I meet with a lot of people and they're like, here's my strategic plan. And it always starts with a building. 
and all of these steps that I'm just like, I mean, you need $10 million to start your purpose. <laughs> yeah. And I felt like God was trying to say, wait, you're rich. Just start giving away what you have. Yeah. Start giving away. I mean, I was thinking about it this morning. I was driving around the city and I thought, you know, if everyone in the mission knew how rich they were, Vacaville would be saved. And I know that's big words, but we want to throw big words at you. I don't want it to be just like, hey, let's fill this building or, mm-hmm. or I, I believe in the entire cities. And that's, and that's what God's wanting to do. And I just began to realize if we would just recognize how rich we are. That the, the treasure of heaven that's on the inside of us. And we don't have time to go into it, but I wish I could just press the button on her. This girl loved like I've never seen anyone love for 10 days. Yeah. Because the truth is they didn't really want, feel comfortable talking to a man. And it was mainly women and children. So I was dealing with the children and she would just pour in. And, and I'm telling you, love has never failed. And one of the things I feel like the Lord wants to do here at the end it's just, I just felt like he just wanted to look at us and love us. Because if we know we're loved, we'll love. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Mark yeah. 10, it says of the rich young ruler, it's the only place in the scripture that says Jesus looked at him and loved him. Yeah. I just have great faith that the rich young ruler was part of the early church later on because of one encounter with the love of God. Mm-hmm. And I know that's extra scripture, but... I'm allowed to believe what I want to believe on that. So, um, but I I believe it because I believe in the power of God's love. Yeah, that's right. And I just feel like in the room, that's what he's wanting you to come out of with. Wait a minute. I've got a love deposit in me and I can give it away. I'm rich. I mean, you literally can say silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have, I'll give to you. Instead of a good story, it becomes your life. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else you want to? Well, it's an amazing story. Um, the thing that, that just captivates me is the simplicity of their faith and simplicity of, you know, we can't fix this problem, but we can do something. And they started by getting on a plane and going to where they think the people are going to be. God directs their steps. This is what he does when we, when we are willing like the little boy, here's my lunch. This is all I've got. But it's enough if it's in his hands and what he wants to do with that. He loves to do it uh, through our obedience in that. And it just, it just astounds me. And something that you, <clears throat> I'm sure you've thought of, but uh, I want to just say this to you guys. You, have, you are affecting generations. Not just this need. By, by be, saying yes to God, walking into this place, not knowing what you were going to do, how you were going to do it. You know, understanding is sometimes overrated, right? When it comes to really walking in the Lord. If you have a word of the Lord, you just do it. That's one of the things I've admired about you guys. By doing this, you're not only affecting those people that you minister to right now, what you did then and what you're doing now. It's changing generations, People who come to the Lord, now they're going to pass that on generation after generation after generation. They're breaking a cycle of people who have been devastated and wonder, where is God? Where is God? I think we live in a world right now that is saying, where's God? Where's God in this mess? 
Where is he? And if we don't stand and demonstrate, like you say, demonstrate love to them and be willing to say yes when the need seems overwhelming, we can do something. And that something can say to that generation, no, God does love you and he is here and he's not, he's not blind to what you're going through. Then we can change generations too. And I think that's so important. And I, you guys are here. Good. You're good. Can I say something? Yeah, you sure can. That actually is interesting that you say that because when we were there, that was March. We were there again last June. Tim was there in July. But one of the trips, and I'm going to say it for you. I know God spoke it to you, but I'm going to say it. But he, he asked him, what does it look like to rebuild a nation spiritually? And actually, that's what we feel like this is a long-term call. You know, like what does it look like to walk this out with them after the war, to rebuild the nation, you know, and to, and to keep demonstrating that. Like God's here, God's here, God's here. People are, are coming to help. And we do believe that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Vision always attracts, attracts the people you need. The rich man in the really great car. I'd love to see the car, by the way. We should have taken a picture. (laughs) We're going to be actually, we're going to be back there in June. Pray for us with Uh a team of 12 uh, young college students. Um, Yeah, and we're going to go actually into the western city of Ukraine to minister to refugees. Hundreds of thousands of them there. Uh, What I I want us to do right now is just to um, allow God to re-engage us in the dreams of our heart to re-engage us in the things that we've been overwhelmed in and we felt like we couldn't do anything so we've done nothing. To re-engage us into the, the desires of his heart for the people around us. Uh, and even in places where you've just kind of given up on those things because it just is too much. To find out what is the one thing I can do? What does my lunch look like? Where can I say yes? That can then start a process where God does what only he can do. And so if that's, you know, if, the, if you're in that place and you, you recognize this morning, even as you're hearing this story, wow, I'd like to do something over that situation. I wish I could do something over this, this promise. Uh, what, what about that dream I had that was too overwhelming and I gave up on it? But you, you want to say, God, I, I want to step into that one more time. I want to be able, I want to be willing to one more time hear your voice, one more time know what the one thing is I can do to re-engage this in my life. If that's you, why don't you stand up? We want to pray for you this morning. Yeah. You know, what's, what's, what's so interesting about the people in this room right now, there are so many in this room who have done exactly what these guys have done. Different nations, you guys, different nations, right? Different places different situations but you were willing to say yes to God when you didn't have the answers. You said yes when you didn't have, you didn't know how, to, how it would get done. Right here is, is one of our dear friends, part of this house for many, many years, he and his family Christian Iverson who saw a need in Mexico bigger than him but he stepped into it and, and poured his life out into that place. And now he's turned it over to another couple that have taken over this ministry among children in, in Mexico. 
So there's, there's heroes in this room that have already know what this is like. And what's so interesting to me right now is some of those heroes are standing right now. They've already done this, but they're not stopping. They want to do more. They want to find the next step, the next place that will challenge their faith, the next place that they can say their yes to. Anybody else ready to stand? Anybody else God speaking to? Don't, don't hesitate. I don't have the resources. Perfect. I'm not smart enough. Perfect. I don't know who to make contact with. Perfect. It's perfect. That's, that's what Jesus was saying to the, to the disciples. Well, this boy has this lunch, but you know it's not enough. He said, perfect. It's just just enough. It's just enough. Yeah. I just feel I'm going to get in trouble if I don't do this from the Lord. But there's two young men right over here. You're standing. It says Kenneth Cole. I'm not sure. Yeah, you're sitting there in black. In worship, I saw the eyes of the Lord on you. And he just said, I love them. I love them. I'm crazy in love with them. And I, I kept trying to look away and worship, but I could not take my eyes off. The Lord just kept saying, I love them. I love them. I love them. And I said, Lord, what are you doing? He said, I'm actually putting seeds because they're going to love people right into my kingdom. And he goes, I need them to know how much I love them. The Lord just wants you to know how much he loves you. And there's great destiny that's going to come out of it, but you don't have to worry about any of that. The pressure's off. He just says, it's going to come out of my love. Yeah. You don't have to have a strategy. You don't have to have a plan. He goes, I'm going to give you all that when, it, when it, you're overwhelmed by love. And he's just looking at you this morning. He just says, it's the next season of your life. Every time you go in to be with him, you're going to see his face. He's going to look at you and say, I love you. He's answering all doubts right now. He's answering every doubt in you because he says, I have destiny that is dependent on how much I love you. And so the, uh, it's simple. Just open your heart and receive his love right now. I, I'm telling you, God's eyes are on you. I could not take my eyes off of you this morning during worship. And I said, well, God, what are you doing? He said, that's my eyes. They're on him. I love him. I'm just like Mark 10. I'm looking at him. I'm loving him. I also want to have those of you to stand who you want you want to you want your impact on your world to go beyond your generation you really want to see the next generation beyond you impacted by how you now live your life Cletty Keith said this years ago he said we need to have an unexplainable ministry an unexplainable life. So I want my grandkids to when I'm, when I'm just a memory to remember and say, I don't know how Papa did that. But he did it. I don't know how Grandma lived that way. But she did it. And they, they discover it's through the grace of God. And we affect the generations beyond us like these two are doing right now. Yeah, many of you. So I'm going to ask, we're going to sing this chorus, the blessing, okay? Before we do that, I want you two to both pray over these, these two situations. So if you put your hands out, you're going to receive a blessing.
an awakening, an awakening of the call that God's had on your life that you felt like you just couldn't fulfill. The call, the hunger in your heart to serve the next generation. So just receive it then. Yeah. I just feel like the Lord just wants me to bless you, but I want to combat the lie right now that you can mess this up. Like, honestly, I just felt like the Lord just said, tell him, you can't mess it up if your heart is for me. And so we just remove all the pressure that it's going to be perfect. If you want a white band, but you get a bright green one, it's okay. (laughs) Like, it doesn't have to be perfect. That's the blessing. I actually feel like I'm supposed to give up. The blessing is that to trust that he will fill in the blanks. Yeah, you might land in Poland, but you're actually going to end up in Czech. That's it. (laughs) And so we just bless you now. We bless your yes. Everyone standing in here right now, I just bless your yes. And I just say it's enough. Your yes is enough. Your yes. Now we ask that the Lord would multiply your yes. That the very yes you're handing out to him right now, he would multiply. And then he says, now you break it. You break the bread. You break the bread. We just bless you now in Jesus' name. Yeah, and I just pray over those that have a heart to leave a legacy for generations. And I just speak even to your family situation, starting right there. I just release love, an increase of love, that love that never fails. I just want to say to you that love is enough. It's enough even for the relationships in your families, the difficult ones, the broken relationships. Love is enough, and it will propel. It will continue. It will go past your children to your children's children. And those areas that you feel even you've been pouring your life into that you want to see perpetuated, whether it be business or uh, ideas or missions or whatever. We just bless that and we just say, your love be the the ribbon, Lord, the the cord that continues generation upon generation upon generation. It was enough. 2,000 years ago, the love you, you released on this earth through Jesus, it's enough. And Lord, I just believe right now that those in this room whose heart leans towards legacy and multiple generations, Lord, that you will begin to release fresh revelation on how to walk that out, but it will be through love. And we just release the anointing of love Thank you, in the name of Jesus. Uh, let's, all, let's all stand and sing this, sing this as our benediction this morning. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Face toward you and keep you peace. Sing it again. Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine.
this morning, Tim and Elizabeth, be inspired, ministry team, if you'd come down, if anyone needs prayer this morning, like individual prayer, uh, prayer over situations, over uh, conditions in the body, we'd love to see healings take place, we see them every week, so their ministry team will be here for you, please take advantage of that, please go get your children, right away, we're a little late this morning, thank you for your patience, and thank the children's ministries for their patience as you go and get your children very quickly this morning. God bless you all. Love you so much. Love you so much. Next Saturday morning, ladies, you need to be here. Dating God and Other Really Bad Ideas is the book she's going to talk about. You're going to want to hear it. God bless you guys.